0: Welcome to this week's edition of the Twin Geek Cast. This week our friend Tyler's is joining us to talk about M. Night Shyamalan's class. First name Mr., last name Glass.
1: Movies and friendship, those are mysteries.
0: Yeah, well, you know, that's just like uh, your opinion, man.
2: That sounds like
0: the bad guys teaming up.
2: Alright, welcome back to another uh, Twin cast, a special cast this time. We have our good friend Tyler here with us. Tyler, how you doing?
3: Very good, happy to be here.
2: Glad, glad to have you on. How you doing too, Calvin? You're here as well still. Got a little bit of flu,
0: so uh, we got Tyler on here, so I don't have to talk.
2: <laughs> yeah, we'll make you talk a little bit still, because... Uh, okay. But anyway, so let's start and let's get into this uh, with the box office for this last week. It's a little bit different than last week, but, you know, we're still in January, so it's going to be a lot of the same stuff. But starting at number 10, we have On the Basis of Sex here.
0: So Ruth Bader Ginsburg had the documentary come out earlier this year. It was very partisan. Um, this, that documentary was trying to sell you clothing of hers and was uh, a little bit nasty that way. And uh, this looks um, a little bit more interesting.
2: Mm-hmm. I also hear that with Gider Binsburg, shit, <laughs> that person is also. Uh, I saw she has a cameo in the Lego movie. That was in the trailer recently. Did you guys see that? Oh yeah. Yeah, that was it. Was a weird thing. There was even like a news article about it.
0: And this is um, Felicity Jones, which seems like good casting for her. She's very mature. Yeah, that's and, uh... what I
3: was gonna say. She was from uh, Rogue One, right?
0: Yeah. Yeah. That was her name. Yeah, she seems perfect yeah. for that. Mm-hmm.
2: <clears throat> but we, uh, what do we have? We don't have too much to say on it because you know none of us has gone to see it yet. No. Right. <laughs> but the next one we have a little bit more thoughts on. We have uh, Bumblebee still hanging on the office uh, box office at number nine.
0: Yeah, have you guys seen that? Which is. That? Yeah, yeah. I went to an early screening that we got a review on the TwinGeeks.com dot There. Oh, nice.
2: Mm-hmm. I, I haven't gone to see it myself. You know, Transformers didn't really do it for me any the other times. But I hear this one's kind of turned it around. So yeah. maybe they'll get something going.
0: You know what really does it for me is Haley Stanfield uh, having sex with robots. <laughs>
3: <laughs> one cut hope. hope. It's a little bit of a um, weird angle to
2: go, but you know, I guess it's better than some of the more sexual aspects of Michael Bay's, you know, entries.
0: But uh, seriously, it's a lot better at not defining the woman with her relationship with men that she actually just works on cars out of a love for cars, not like some a way to get her ass like within a shot so you know like her like bending over a car it's more like oh she has like a practical relationship with her dead father and that's kind of what she's following up on yeah and
3: it's kind of going for like uh the et narrative right
0: yeah yeah it is a total um amblin movie you could actually feel spielberg's influence like from the producer chair for the first time in the transformers so that's kind of a cool spin to have on it.
2: I think it's kind of interesting it comes full circle like that, because, I mean, really, if you think about it, the Transformers series from, like, the 80s really could only exist in a Spielbergian universe where, you know, it's kind of fortified by this very commercial-driven aspect, <laughs> you know, so...
0: I think I think that's all you could really hope for for Transformers is to having a Spielbergian style to it.
2: Yeah, I mean, if that's the kind of movie you got to deal with, I think that's the, the best thing you could hope for, certainly. So at least Bumblebee kind of fulfills that and at uh, number eight here we have escape room uh the last couple times we have talked about the film here we've actually been talking about our escape room adventures that we've had instead in the past uh t-money or tyler have you had any experience with the escape rooms
3: i have not no not at all there must be Um, a bunch in chicago though right yeah i've seen them around and uh i have friends who have done them i've always been interested but yeah i've never got around to it
2: well, they're usually so expensive, it's kind of hard to, uh, you know, find the time to go if it's just you going as well. Like we talked about before, usually a group best of five or six or so.
0: Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, I want to get into it as a hobby, but it is prohibitive. And I think we got to get it, like a staff outing or something, so we get the group right. <laughs> so. We'll get to it.
2: <laughs> we'll, we'll have to all go out and find some movie-themed escape room maybe. That'd be interesting. Alright, we'll have a look at number seven here next on the box office is Mary Poppins Returns. Calvin, you're still waiting to see this one, right?
0: Yeah, yeah, I want to wait for the home release. Uh, Tyler, what's your experience with Mary
3: Poppins? Uh, I actually grew up um, with Mary Poppins in my life in a big way. Uh, My mom, she had it on VHS for me and my sister, and I watched it all the time. was a big fan. Um, So, when I heard they were doing a return to mary poppins i was not excited more like concerned like why are they doing this like Mm -hmm. a lot of disney stuff um although you know i do love emily blunt and uh lin Lin manuel miranda yeah um but yeah i still haven't got around to seeing it yet um i've heard mixed things so i don't know i'm still a little cautious Mm
0: well i think i I think it's I think it's great that she's able to adapt it into her own Mary Poppins. Like, that she's not just playing Andrews. That she's able to become, like, the storybook version of what this character is to children.
2: Well, it's nice to see as yeah. well is that, unlike a lot of the other live-action Disney stuff they're doing, this isn't a direct remake, you know, per se. They're they're trying to do something different and at least somewhat original. You know, I, I don't need to see the same stuff again. Especially since it's not inherently going to measure up to the the greatness of the Julie Andrews version if you just do it beat for beat again. So doing something different is, you know, much better than just another CG remake of, you know, their various classics. Sure.
0: I hadn't even seen it until a few weeks ago, so... I mean, the original. Like, I didn't grow up with it at all, so... I didn't have a childhood, and so... (laughs) Did you enjoy it? Yeah, yeah, I loved it, and I loved the songs in it. I think uh, Lin-Manuel Miranda is inspired casting for it, so I'm excited to see that. Yeah.
2: Hopefully he'll yeah. do a better job than uh, Dick Van Dyke did with that kind of weird accent. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it never we'll bothered me as a kid, but, you know, looking back, I'm like, wow, that is, like, borderline offensive now.
3: <laughs> oh, really? I haven't seen it in probably almost 20 years, so I couldn't really say, but uh, that's...
2: Well, it's just, you know, it's a very odd, very uh, obvious thing, I guess. You know, it's not it's not the most egregious thing by any means, but... You know, it's it's definitely like, oh, he's he's going for it, right? All right. What do we have next? After we that? have at uh, number six, A Dog's Way Home. I don't think any of us are going to see this. You, are you excited for this at all, Calvin?
0: <laughs> <laughs> I uh, uh, only if my daughter talks to me and do it at some point. I'm sure she'll have a dog phase once I get her a dog.
2: What about you, Tyler? You know anything about this this dog movie?
3: Actually, yeah. Um, oh. I mean, not, not in a good way. Uh, I saw the trailer ahead of... I would bet it was ahead of Spider-Man. They showed um, the Dog's Way Home trailer, and yeah, that was uh, really bad. <laughs> like, everyone in the theater was, like, laughing at the trailer. Uh, there's no way that is a good movie. I Actually, I'm surprised it's out already, and, like... You know, it hasn't been talked about at all. Yeah. Which is I guess that's a sign. Well yeah, probably. consider
2: who the audience is. I mean, this is what the second week I think it's been in the box office here. And these are probably the the families all going to see this who don't really care about quality of film or maybe only go out once in a while. Like they just view it as kind of a, a going out experience thing. They're not going to for quality of film necessarily. They just want to see dogs and, you know, that happy voiceover and kind of picturing their own dogs maybe with it as well. That's what I imagined anyway.
3: Yeah, something something to, like, take your four-year-old to. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Earlier this year, we had show dogs, and it asked the question, we thought they stopped making dogs, dog movies, and they probably should have, at least right after that one. I mean, that one has, like, a 31 Metacritic, and uh, listen to this. A human detective, Will Arnett, takes his canine, canine partner... Chris Ludicrous Bridges to go undercover at the world's most exclusive dog show. <laughs>
2: <laughs> that, nice. that sounds like a nice paycheck for Will Arnett, but that's about it.
0: I might actually
1: watch that one.
2: <laughs> I I'd watch it for Ludicrous, <laughs> right? <laughs> well, I don't know. It's 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 an it's definitely a specific kind of film and one that will be very quickly forgotten. So we might as well move on as well. Mm-hmm. all right uh number five we still have spider-man into the spider-verse hanging on here yeah, yeah. this was a, a really great one surprising uh turn from sony who have been having a great year we did a whole podcast on this film just uh two weeks back um uh, but Tyler, we'd be interested to hear more of your opinions on it since we've talked it to death already
3: yeah i mean everyone's really talked this movie to death but i mean why not because <laughs> the movie's amazing um i will say i didn't love it quite as much as a lot of people who are like you know this is you know my favorite superhero movie of the decade and i've heard that thrown around and i'm like uh let's hold back a little on that maybe um but i I did think it was Mm -hmm. great i thoroughly enjoyed it yeah the animation is amazing Mm-hmm.
2: I, this is actually the real reason we brought Tyler on today is so that we can slam Calvin for trying to think that Spider-Verse was better than Spider-Man 2. <laughs> I've got Tyler on my side well, here to confirm that that is in fact not the case. Yeah. Spider-Man 2 is still the So best. David
0: David and his girlfriend came over <laughs> this week and his girlfriend admitted that she opened multiple Twitter accounts to vote in our poll and your movie's still <laughs> lost. So I, I have a feeling she, that she did not, despite her rigging the oh, okay, polls... okay, okay.
2: Let me make a couple corrections here. Number one, fiancé not girlfriend i'm past that stage now thank you <sighs> number two she already had those accounts and i also
0: she already had 10 different ten, Twitter you accounts. are exaggerating voted, so much uh, against our
2: this is why talk about spider-man anymore <laughs> 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 all right let's let's move on now before we make this a whole fight again <laughs> all right all so right. number four this is a really
0: we'll get to it after the podcast yeah.
2: Number four is a really interesting entry here. We have a uh, Dragon Ball Super Broly. It's an anime film, you know, from the Dragon Ball franchise, which has been going on for what feels like forever now. But in the box office here, the top five, you know, for that, instance, that's uh, really interesting to see. Is it? Yeah. Is it interesting? I think so. <laughs> what is it? It's it's an animated film for the Dragon Ball uh, uh, anime series.
0: Yeah. And that, that's still going, yeah. Dragon Ball. <laughs> yes, it is
2: still going. This is like its fifth iteration, you know, which is incredible by, I mean, whatever measure you want to say, just the fact that it is still going and still has a huge fan base enough willing to go out to the theaters to see a, a film, I think that's interesting yeah. and, you know, <laughs>
3: surprising. Uh, Tyler, what's your context with anime? Uh, zero, basically. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, I've never been into anime. Um, I was never into Dragon Ball. So, actually, I'm shocked to see that it's number four on the box office. I actually haven't really heard anything about this movie. Actually, I knew they were showing it at um, one of the coolest, like, uh, I guess, art house theaters in Chicago. Uh, But, yeah, I'm surprised it's doing that well. I thought it was going to be more of, like, a direct-to-video type deal. Right, you would think... I thought
0: they were i saw they were showing it at our coolest amc theater (laughs) Uh, here's the quote from ign dragon ball super brawly delivers in terms of awesome action but more than that it uses the fathers of goku vegeta and brawly to link back to the late 1980s and early 1990s heyday of the series to add relatable and thoughtful subtext i love when they say animes are relatable in reviews
2: (laughs) It, it is a little odd. Um, Dragon Ball Z was one of the animes that I did grow up watching. You know, I haven't watched it in a long time, and I'm probably three iterations of the show behind. But, you know, I just thought, you know, it's it's kind of significant to see it's, you know, still going, and the fans are clearly still here for it. You know, I'm surprised.
0: Was your experience the same as mine? I'd be sitting there, like, on a Saturday morning, and it'd be, like, four hours into a marathon, and my dad would come in, and, like, he'd still be charging from when he was in the first episode. <laughs> <laughs> Like he'd still be Kameoing.
2: It it takes a long time to get through some of those arcs. Dragon Ball Z, especially, was uh, you know kind of bad at this, and that's that's one of the bigger problems with anime is that they they really shove their content full of filler.
0: And they have that dope fighting game that came out last year that looks like just like the fucking yeah. Character. I was about amazing.
3: to mention that. I heard that game's supposed to be excellent. Uh, I we should all yeah. get on
0: that. Mm-hmm. Maybe skip the movie and get on the there fighting you game.
2: Go. You can probably charge about a lot faster than that, I imagine <laughs> right <laughs> all right, uh, if we look at here number three, we have Aquaman still hanging on in the charts.
3: still have not seen Aquaman. <laughs> I hear I've heard pretty good things though. yeah,
0: I feel like I feel like people have taken a turn on it because it's become such a box office success that people are looking for the victory and having those high number marks for d c right.
3: Uh, Do you have any interest in
2: seeing it, Tyler? Uh,
3: uh, For Aquaman, yeah. I mean, I definitely still want to see it. Um, I mean, of course, DC has been largely disappointing with their uh, cinematic universe, Uh, although I did Mm -hmm. like Wonder Woman. Um, But uh, I like James Wan, and so uh, hearing positive reviews coming out of it, I definitely want to check it out.
0: I guess, I guess I'm guess the only one that's seen it here, so I'll go on a little bit more than it is. Uh, it has, like, a gothic horror beginning that seems like it's setting up to be something else. And that got me, like, super psyched to be there and excited to be in, like, this premiere, like, Amazon screening. Because I'm in Seattle, it seemed like I was just among, like, Amazon employees at an <laughs> early showing of it, so it was a weird setting to oh, be in. Oh, yeah. But, uh, yeah, yeah, but uh, I, I enjoyed the screening, I mean... I don't think it's a great movie. It's a it's a fun, bad movie.
2: I think it's kinda of interesting to look at it in terms of the context of the, the DC cinematic universe. You know, if you kinda of take a step back and look at all of the films and how they kind of changed, you see Wonder Woman is this huge kind of turning point where they kind of embrace the inherent campiness of the material that they have. And Aquaman seems to really rush into that headlong and kind of finally fully embrace it, you know, and realize, all right, we can't do this super edgy you know hardcore thing anymore that's not working for us and it seems to be really panning out now even if Aquaman isn't necessarily a great or even good film based on reviews it's got people going up to see it and it's got the entertainment value so that's more than I expected from an Aquaman film yeah Absolutely. what's the next
3: one coming out from them
2: uh that would be Shazam uh, it's coming out oh, later that's this right year.
3: they showed that trailer ahead of glass I thought that trailer was pretty good
2: yeah, it, yeah, Shazam looks, looks like decent. it's it's going to be that same kind of fun. Like they're that's full on embracing the camp. Like you can't do a serious version of Shazam. Yeah,
3: it's kind of has that like Deadpool tone almost. Yeah, yeah.
2: So it looks like DC's learning their lesson and turning things around. So good for them. Yes. All right, at number two we have the upside here, behind the box office again. Uh, I have not gone to see this. I don't plan on going to see this. Tyler, do you know anything about this film?
3: I actually don't think I've heard of this. What is this? Okay. Ca- it's uh, Brian Cranston's in a
2: wheelchair. Oh, and Kevin Hart's yeah, taking yeah. it
3: after. Yeah, I don't plan to see this.
2: No. Yeah. I'm, it's interesting. It's a, such an odd thing to do because it's a it's a remake of a was it a French film I believe the in- the Intouchables.
0: Yeah, and I rented it uh, last week, so I I was just gonna watch that instead and write some article about how to see that, but. I didn't end up watching either of them, so there's that.
3: Yeah, I, I love Brian Cranston, but uh, Kevin Hart, i am always not been a Kevin Hart fan, but uh, especially in the past uh, month, yeah, that, that's a hard pass.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Well, we, we talked about this a bit last week as well. It's interesting is that Brian Cranston doesn't seem to have the best choice of film roles. Aside from, like, Isle of Dogs last year, his starring roles haven't been typically great. He's much better suited for TV, we found, at least. Do uh, you have any thoughts on that, Tyler?
3: Uh, I mostly agree. Um I'm actually I don't think I've seen him lead a movie. Um but I have seen the occasional like supporting role from him where he's good. Um wasn't he in uh, Drive and I thought he was fine. Yes. Uh,
2: yeah, he was in Drive. That was good. That was a little while. Yeah, back. that was a but long yeah. time ago. I think the, the conclusion we kind of came to is that Brian Cranston is really capable in the right hands of a director, so when you have someone like Nicholas Winding Reif and, um, you know, of course it makes sense that he'll give a great performance, but if he's not utilized well, you'll get some weird things. There was, what, like that film he did with James Franco for Christmas one time? Yeah. Yeah.
0: Oh, yeah, yeah. I actually like that one. Oh, did you? Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. I think I'm one of the only ones that like it. He goes to James Franco's house. James Franco's like this game designer and his daughter's dating him. And Brian Kritz is like arguing with him the whole way. I think it's a funny-ass Christmas movie. I wish I remembered to watch it this year. Next year. <laughs> podcast.
2: Alright. Well, I-, I might have to visit it then, but I don't know. Like, your your recommendations are always sketchy, Calvin. So, I'll see. <laughs>
0: <laughs> At least on rom-coms, I, I have a lot of uh, uh, could, ways you I You give a lot of
2: leniency to rom-coms. I have to say that. <laughs>
0: I do, except uh, Little Italy. That's the one that I'm not leaning on (laughs) at all.
2: It's okay. I love your review of it, though, on the site.
0: The poster review? Yeah. yeah, Give me, like, Sleepless in Seattle, and I'm all all the way there. Mm.
2: Alright, well, luckily, our number one here at the box office transitions perfectly into the film we're talking about, because glass is really uh, shattering the box office.
0: Oh! (laughs) And, you know, I... I thought it couldn't beat the previous records. I thought they were unbreakable. But <laughs>
1: yeah. Here we are.
2: Yeah. Unfortunately, I think our opinions of it are a little uh, split, right? <laughs> Jesus wow, you're Christ. really going
3: for it now.
1: <laughs> the three of you've convinced yourselves you have extraordinary gifts like something out of a comic book. David Dunn. The only person to survive that train wreck all those years ago? What do you do?
0: I'm in security.
1: You think you have superpowers?
0: It's a feeling. Vision. I have to touch them.
1: You believe you are a protector. My name is Patricia.
3: I have no question, there are two dozen identities I'm Mary Reynolds Por favor, senora We almost got you, bro That live in that body with you The beast is coming any minute now for you guys But what I am questioning is your belief That you are something more than human
2: And yet, it is true What
0: do we call you, sir? First name, mister Last name Class
2: It's kind of hard to know where to go about this because there's so many different things to talk about. I mean, there's the film itself, then there's kind of the way the film came about. There's the two films that precede it. I don't know. Let's start
0: (laughs) with Unbreakable.
2: All right. So uh, I think generally we all agree here that Unbreakable is a pretty great classic that met right around the peak Shyamalan period. I would say yes. Where
0: are you at with Unbreakable, Tyler?
3: Um... Well, for Unbreakable, I saw it for the first time uh, about a week ago, uh, so wow. so yeah, came to it came to it pretty late, um, so I was not part of uh, the group of people that uh, enjoyed the spoiler in uh, the second movie, mm-hmm. um, but on Unbreakable itself, um, it so. I had actually not seen any Shyamalan movies before seeing Split. Oh, really? Yeah, not at all. So, kind of like The Sixth Sense and Unbreakable, I was like, you know, too young to be watching like Shyamalan movies by that point as like a little kid. The first. Right, like the
2: the love for Shyamalan would have long faded by the time you came around. Because it was right after (laughs) Unbreakable where people started to question him a little bit more.
0: And you were just watching, like, uh, Last Airbender <laughs> when you were growing up. <laughs> the
3: TV series, yes. Uh, <laughs> yeah, right. No, but... Uh, we're talk about the other one, Right. Uh, the first, like, Shyamalan release that I remember was The Village. Um, but even then, oh, yeah. I was still, like, really young, so, like, I wasn't going to the theater to see The Village. Um, so, and then, I guess, just the perception of him as time went on with Unlady in the Water was so, like, negative that I just, like, there was never an urge to go see a Shyamalan movie after that, but uh, so I saw Split and then when I knew about Glass coming out, uh, I knew I had to go back and watch Unbreakable, so I watched that, and um, Unbreakable's really good. Uh, I had issues with the ending, um, which, you know, it, you can say for any Shyamalan movie, maybe. Um, uh, I,
2: I I think so, except for maybe the Sixth Sense. I think the Sixth Sense largely gets away with it, but otherwise has been you know maybe ruined by all the parody over time. Right,
3: and yeah, I mean that's an issue because you know I, I have never seen the Sixth Sense, but I know I feel like I know the Sixth Sense and right <laughs> just yeah. because
2: it's it's got like the same problem as Psycho, where the the twist is ruined long before you even have the opportunity to see the film. Especially, I mean, like, look it's just shoved in all sorts of kids' media as well. I know that's one of the reasons why I i knew it going in. But I promise you, it still fulfills, at least, you know, like, it's still satisfying knowing the twist. Yeah,
3: for sure, that's what I've heard. I don't doubt it. But, uh, yeah, I mean, D- Unbreakable still holds up in my eyes, definitely. Um, when I was watching, I was super sucked into the, the pacing of it. It's just so patient. Uh, it starts out with that scene on the what is that a bus or a train or a train a uh, train yeah the
0: whole, the whole series is basically called the east rail series right because it's east rail what is it 170 yeah or Phila- Philadelphia train is yeah yeah and it's all caused by that one accident and you know uh Shyamalan's a Philadelphia guy so he kind of bakes that into
3: his right mm-hmm. so yeah I definitely definitely positive on unbreakable
2: and then you, uh, you also saw Split, though, when it came out in theaters. I think I'm the only one here who recently saw Split for the first time. Like, I I, I skipped out on in okay.
0: theaters.
3: Okay, yeah. No, I went to see Split for sure. Uh, I'm pretty sure, like, opening weekend, just because it was getting a lot of buzz. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I think that came out in January as well, right?
2: It, it was around this time. I think one of the interesting kind of gimmicks they used to market as well, so I'm pretty sure Shyamalan's name is nowhere near the marketing because of all the, the kind of stigma around it and whatnot
1: mm-hmm.
2: so you know now that and that, that was kind of his big breakthrough back because it was a huge success financially and critically everyone loved it and so then there was the the sequel baiting and everyone was like ah it's so interesting and so that's kind of now he's back this was a split with heralded as this like coming back into you know form for chamois and after years and years and years of being awful
0: I guess we should discuss that. Few directors really have uh, loops and turns like that. Like, he started out with a couple bad dramas, and then he found that horror, he could kind of maybe emotionally manipulate the situation to where he could have a twist at the end that might redeem, (laughs) like, the last two hours of his films.
2: I don't know why he just decided to latch on to that so vehemently. Like, he's just like, this twist thing worked with Sixth Sense, and it's the only thing I'm gonna do for the rest of my life.
0: (laughs) i think he i watched the interview with him on norm mcdonald as the show again and he's such an awkward guy he's not very funny at all like uh, you know they have segments where they have to read norm's jokes and he's just like sitting there like kind of shaking and you know he's he's not a funny guy um he doesn't have a ton of personality to make up for it
3: yeah, it seems like he's a total like cinephile though like i went on his twitter page and in his twitter profile he has like my mount rushmore of directors and he has like hitchcock and i forget who else kubrick i think
0: mm-hmm. oh cool
2: it makes sense that he'd take cues from someone like hitchcock you know that's kind of like his big uh, domain in terms of like thriller genre is there that's where he operates most it seems yeah so yeah i think uh the general consensus is i'm, I'm pretty sure i'm the only one who didn't like split uh for a variety of reasons um you know, a lot of which I felt bled into Glass when watching it. But, I don't know, It, it Glass is just kind of very odd in a situation because it, it takes on qualities of both Unbreakable and Split in their good and bad parts. So it's, it's really weird to kind of try and talk about it. And it's hard to start exactly where, I guess, the beginning?
0: I guess we should talk about what Glass is. And <laughs> it's... Um, what like, is Glass? And, yeah. It's been nineteen years, and David Dunn's kind of just been like living as an outlaw, like the tiptoe bandit or whatever the hell his son calls him. He's they opened gave up him, like a
2: couple <laughs> nicknames. It was, yeah, they're all kind of odd.
0: They're all strange, and he opened up his own what is it security store. So his son does like surveillance, and he's triangulated a position where um, what's his name McAvoy's character uh that, what a uh, uh split guy what's his name Look, Kevin uh, Kevin name. yeah the Kevin whore. Grum the horde okay. they found that's, him. His, that's his
2: super villain name <laughs> by the way
0: i don't know if you could like triangulate how the guy finds girls like why is it in a triangle anyway and why would that position him at a warehouse off town
1: well, good
2: well, it was, was kind of odd the way they explained it because they were like here where the three kidnappings happened is how he said and so they had been searching within that triangle of there but then they thought that maybe they're actually closer like they're in a more uh, you know hidden away part of the town but mm. still accessible to the triangle so that's when they had the idea to go search the the brick factory area. I don't know I, I did want to say though th- that I think uh, the natural progression of seeing David become a, a vigilante who works with his son like that that was a very nice uh, carry-on from the previous film and it made logical sense and I, I really liked their dynamic personally. I thought they had the most interesting relationship in the film. Mostly because there's a, over from unbreakable.
0: There's an interesting part in Unbreakable where his son's gonna shoot him with the gun. That's my favorite part of the movie. Oh yeah,
3: yeah really that great was great.
0: Mm-hmm. And I love it because of the way that everyone kinda collapses to the floor after it's done. Like there's a exhausting and, scene yeah, for sure. Even even you feel like you're sinking into your seat after that scene's over. I love it.
3: Totally.
2: Well I think the power the power of it is very much so in that as well as the characters, even the audience don't know what the bullet will do, you know, you're very uncertain It like very well could bounce off him, it very well could just kill him. And so there's there's a huge amount of tension in that scene and that's why that works really well.
0: So what happens? He uh Don bumps into the guy. Just like coincidentally he, he like goes to the factory and he bumps into uh Kevin. Kevin, yeah. <laughs> that sets off his spider senses. And what yeah. happens then? Um
2: uh, after that, then that's when he he kind of chooses between either following Kevin or you know going to the the factory where he knows the girls are, and he chooses that instead. And then he goes in there and he frees them with super strength. And then that's when Kevin shows up and transforms into the Beast, and they have a showdown in the complete darkness of a warehouse that is impossible to see.
0: Mm-hmm. And uh, they they kind of explain that, that he has an aversion to light and stuff within this one, and maybe that they... was.
2: That was an odd thing I found. I like that because when you get later on to the hospital, where you see the lights change Kevin's, you know, personalities. That's a form of you know, like fighting against him. That's a really cool feature, especially since it works in this idea of like the personalities grabbing the light within his mind. But it was not established in Split, which was really confusing. Like they just blurted mm-hmm. out like this bit of exposition, like and just kind of hope you just roll with it, because it was like a great idea I guess Shyamalan had, but. You know, it was after the fact
0: Yeah And I feel like there's a lot of that happening Where Shyamalan's coming up with ideas later And uh, retrofitting
2: them For a story that he supposedly wrote 19 years ago in full It doesn't seem all that fleshed out
3: Yeah, from what I can tell I I highly doubt it I heard that, you know uh, Originally he was He had Kevin's character written And he was like, gonna be in the script For Unbreakable And he's like, no, it's just too much and he took him out, which is interesting. Mm-hmm. Well, that's
2: why Unbreakable feels so like it suddenly stops as well. It does not feel like a complete story by any means, but at the same time, I don't think the rest of that story was what we got in Split and Glass. Like, clearly, it is not what whatever he had envisioned, you know, back in 2000.
0: <laughs> there was this video on MDib now, like, uh um Glass Connections, even the cast didn't know about, where... uh Shyamalan's like I had a bit in Unbreakable where, uh, where David passes by this guy and uh, he bumps into a mother and her son and that's supposed to be Kevin. It's like yeah, right. All the cast's <laughs> like, oh, did you? Oh, did you have that oh, idea? Oh,
2: I guess. Speaking of which, we should talk about Shyamalan's cameo that he has early in the film. Oh, it's the worst. Uh, oh, I hated it.
3: <laughs> I was cool with it. I thought it was funny.
2: I just, it just it felt like such a you know like overly inserting himself in it like and he just felt there was a lot of instances where it felt like he felt the need to come back and reattach things to unbreakable because people may have forgot about it in 19 years but like it was just like it just seemed to stop the movie for a whole moment to be like hey you remember me i had that part and it was an unbreakable and i'm also the same character from split in case you guys didn't get that i'm both of them it's me jam on here <laughs>
0: Shyamalan was like a drug seller that would be around the uh, the place where David was yep. doing the security, because he does that... <laughs> all his cameos
2: in his films, which is fine. But this one just felt too assertive, like, and it, it went on just way too long. And ah, like the idea weird.
0: the idea of playing the same character in cameo in sequels is interesting, but it's there's so many coincidences you have to kind of put up with
3: to get there.
2: Well, you don't have to blatantly draw so much attention to it either yeah you know, a cameo should not be something that announces itself
3: for me way worse than that was anytime they did like a, a direct flashback to unbreakable with like actual film from the movie oh. i thought that was yeah. absolutely just terrible it took me right out of it i agree it, yeah. it's an
2: interesting idea i think the the biggest problem that it causes that it reveals. How much Bruce Willis doesn't give a shit about acting anymore? Oh, I totally. Because, because he's absolutely compelling in those flashback sequences. Because you know he was trying, and now he's not. It's not the worst Bruce Willis I've seen lately by any means, but oh. it's it, it's definitely not good. Like he's he's only slightly trying more, probably because he has like a modicum of respect for Shyamalan as director. Hey, and otherwise, I mean, it's it's still flat. It's still nothing
0: and we just did the Die Hard special where you could go back and see you could like trace where he really cared about movies and really cared about the performance. That's not mm. here at all.
3: No, I, Unbreakable might be one of the last times he actually cared about acting. Yeah. I was going to say I think that's something like really interesting to look at is um the point in Bruce Willis's career he was at in Unbreakable versus now and I mean watching them right back to back it's like night and day i mean bruce willis in unbreakable is fantastic he's very compelling on screen i wouldn't say it's like peak bruce willis it's not like you know the, no, yeah. the original die hard or anything like that but he's still very much like doing his thing like he's a movie star and now it's like watching a struggle like he's not even in our lives really anymore as an actor i can't even remember the last Bruce Willis movie I saw, like, new. It's probably been at least 10 years.
0: (laughs) Mine would have been Death Wish last year. (laughs) I don't feel like that's... I wouldn't even want to see that. (laughs) Yeah, it's not good evidence toward anything.
3: Not at all.
2: The last thing I think I genuinely cared about Bruce Willis is he did two things in 2012 that were interesting. Looper was a very interesting film for him, but over time I've liked the film less, and Bruce Willis still isn't great in it, but I felt like he actually gave a... Good performance in Moonrise Kingdom. Mm-hmm. I
3: don't know. That's right. I for, because, I forgot about uh, Looper. He, I I actually like that.
2: Yeah. Well, I think Looper has its issues, but it's still an interesting kind of film. But yeah, Moonrise Kingdom. He, he gives an actually compelling performance. Again, I think that's because you know Wes Anderson's the kind of director who knows what to do with actors. But and
0: maybe Sims, Sin Cities were like the last time I really felt him caring, and kind of
3: carrying mm-hmm. a movie. I don't know.
2: Well, he had to brood for most of it. I mean, I don't know how much yeah. effort that took, but... <laughs> yeah, that was more yeah,
3: style just... over substance, I would say. The
2: point the point is is that Bruce Willis clearly doesn't give a shit about acting anymore, and including those scenes from Unbreakable just really hammers that point in. Like, if you were uncertain watching the film, you know once you see those clips. I remember I was watching another reviewer, he talked about it, and he was confused at one moment when those f- scenes started, because he was like, oh, I guess Bruce Willis decided to act. Oh, oh no, wait, that's just... A deleted scene from Unbreakable. Okay. <laughs>
3: Too obvious. Yeah, <laughs> true.
2: It did. It did catch me off guard, I remember, quickly as well. I'm like, this is really interesting. That Man, that CGI makeup thing that we got going on is really great. No- oh, no? No? Oh, okay.
0: How about our boy uh, Samuel L. Jackson, though? He he's, he does some acting.
2: Um, Not for the first hour. <laughs>
0: I mean, he mostly just sits there. That's a the fun thing about his role here. He people are like oh he's acting like it with his eyes i'm like he's just not acting he, he's just uh, sitting around and that's not here. his
2: i want to say that's not his fault this, and this is where my biggest problem with glass comes in is that Shamlon had this great concept this is basically a avenger style comic book event mashup where you've got these well-established hero and villain characters from previously successful films and you want to see them get together and do stuff but instead Shamlon's like Nah, I'm just gonna keep them separated for the majority of the film. <laughs> Sam Jack is not gonna do anything, and you know you won't get any action until like the last ten minutes it's It's a huge waste of a potentially great idea.
0: <laughs> I don't even think there's enough interest in here to feel like a thirty minute Netflix special, right? like i think I think you have like maybe one episode of a six series <sighs> show. Where you set them up like in the hospital and then you go on to the next episode. But I don't feel like it's a a feature-length plot that's here.
2: No, I mean, not a whole lot happens during the whole time in the hospital. There's a lot of trying to to push the same points over and over and kind of cutting back and forth. There's a lot of chances for James McAvoy to ham at the camera with all his personalities, which is fun. But it's not, you know, it, it gets old after a bit.
0: I'm a big fan of McAvoy's uh, performance though. I I like what he does with those characters. There are a lot of fun ones.
3: I did not feel the same way. I liked it in Split. um, Because it was cool, new. um, But in Glass, I feel like it was way overdone. Um, He just, like, turned it up to, like, 15. uh, And also, he's, like, doing something he wasn't doing in Split where he's when he's switching between, uh, his personalities, like, he, he, like, fighting it almost, and yeah. you never see that in the split, I don't know, it, it was just weird for me, I, I didn't really care for, um, McAvoy in the movie, and, the, and also a lot of the time in the movie, he's in, a uh, beast mode, so to speak, and, uh, <laughs> I don't know, it took me out of it.
0: It sounds dope I, when you say that, though. He's in beast mode. But, uh, it should be, I think, dope. Uh, <laughs> I think I have problems with the. Well, the light's not established that you just pointed at him. Why doesn't he just close his eyes or, you know, like walk there's backwards a, toward it? I mean, I, I feel like there there's are a, a lot of options. weird, like,
2: plot hole things that you could have <laughs> come up with there. You know, like weird things like Sam Jackson, I guess, just sat in this mental hospital for 19 years and then finally decided to do something. You know, it's a weird thing. One of my other issues is that I don't know why David didn't run off when he was confronted by the cops or anything. Like, the mm-hmm. they kind of pose it as like you're gonna have to fight off all these guys and hurt a lot of people. And I'm like, no, I'm pretty sure he could probably just get away without having to hurt anyone. Really, well,
0: there's another thing where his limitation is he'll get blasted with water. Like, what like he can't, like he he hasn't showered since Unbreakable. <laughs> come come the fuck out! Like his. The whole point is that he drowned because people are holding him down, and he has such huge, like a uh, bone density that he can't float in a pool. Then, like uh, spoilers, but he dies in a puddle. Oh, come on. Yeah.
2: Well, I think I think the weird thing is they is that they take the metaphorical, you know, power ideas, unbreakable, you know, like this idea that he is quote unquote weak to water, and then they make it much more literal. Like, oh, it literally drains him of power. <laughs> That's kind of lame. We're going back to signs now, with water as
3: a weakness for things. Was was that really a part of signs?
2: Yes, the the aliens at the end of the movie are uh, hurt by water. There are glasses of water placed around the house and they fall on the aliens <laughs> and they hurt them. There's a wow. whole thing in
3: Lady in the Water too. Yeah. <laughs> so that's a Shyamalan thing, huh. Yeah. I guess
2: so. It's a it's a running theme of water. Uh yeah. But yeah, they're, they're just so many things that feel like they kind of undercut the good potential that the film has because i don't think that it's inherently bad in its idea you know it Mm. carries over a lot of these interesting concepts of considering what a superhero means in a modern context and if there are really people we would consider among us as heroes you know more endowed individuals you know the the kind that push the limits of you know human capabilities (laughs) And those themes that were in Unbreakable carry over here to glass, but it's largely kind of danced around in the hospital sequences for a while, and then it just kind of completely undoes in the big reveal at the end.
0: I I have some problems with the way that Shyamalan's always said that he wants to represent an illness-like dissociative identity disorder, but I feel like he kind of vilifies it, and he's like, oh, they're monsters that are going to come after you, and you're not able to trust them, because he says he did some kind of good by... Featuring it in Split and this, but oh, oh, I think it's a huge no, disservice.
2: So.
3: I think I remember some controversy around that uh, when Split came out, actually.
2: Mm-hmm. I, I definitely remember that as well. And while watching Split, I didn't think about that too much. You know, I, I definitely see, especially if someone's more has more personal experience with that, how that could be extremely offensive. Um.
0: I th- I think I did in Split. Because he's going to, like, all these therapy appointments. And, like, his different personalities are registering with the doctor in her email. Like, oh, you know, I need to go see you for this. And then someone else shows up. Like, I feel like that's a more thorough exploration. Whereas Glass kind of just uses it as a character trait. Like, a illness just makes you a monster or something. It's pretty The weird gross. thing as
2: well is that they, they tie it back specifically to a childhood incident in... Uh, the the film's you know a more specific thing and by doing so they're basically saying childhood trauma equals superpowers yeah and that's and that and that's kind of weird Fuck and that. not okay <laughs> yeah
3: how did you guys feel about um specifically they build Kevin's relationship with anya Taylor joy's character <laughs>
2: you know her character felt really unnecessary in the film she felt you know, I, I didn't like her too much in Split either, but she at least had a purpose. Like, she was a central character there. It made sense. Here, she was almost entirely unnecessary except for the kind of very contrived ending that they forced into there. Uh, but, yeah, turning it into a kind of understanding, almost love relationship is really a weird turn to take in that kind of abuser, abusive sense. Like, I don't know what purpose she has really doing there. Made sense? I did like seeing more of Kevin as a personality as opposed to all those other ones come out a bit more. But, yeah, th- their relationship was kind of very awkwardly forced.
0: There's that thing at the end of Split where she's sitting in the back of the cop car and you kind of wonder, like, uh, is she going to be able to come back normally and kind of proves that she wasn't, but uh, she's so strange. She's already kind of, like, strange cute, like the girl from, you know, The Witch. And yeah.
2: mm-hmm. Right, well, that's one of the weird things I felt in class as well is that any of the... Kind of uh, character traces she was supposed to have in Split. This kind of you know tortured, abused you know girl and whatnot. They're like non-existent in Glass. Oh like, god, she's just yeah. Like, oh, I, I I dealt with my uncle. He's behind jail now, and then she's like entirely over it. There's no no more issues with her. She's entirely flat as a character because of it. You know, they don't give her anything.
0: Well, she was really the character from uh, Split anyway. She was the main character. I mean, it right. wasn't and, really about him.
2: Mm-hmm. But sort of what it was. I don't know. It was a weird balance with Split, but. In Glass, any characteristics that she had are entirely gone. Yeah, she's just there as to move various plot elements forward at the end of the film,
0: and it's because you need the three of them to have their person at the end, right? Yeah,
2: right. Like, had they not killed off the uh, the psychiatrist, maybe that would have worked better and that would have made more sense for Kevin. Yeah, but yeah, Anna Taylor Joy's character, Claire, whatever, does not work in that sense, um, you know. The other two only, but at least they have like a pre-existing relationship with their person, you know, so it makes sense as to what they're doing. Even mm-hmm. then, the ending is still just this whole huge mess of what the fuck is going on, I don't know. Uh, T- Tyler, do you have any thoughts on uh, Claire in the film as well, Just you asked?
3: Oh, on uh, Anya Taylor-Joy, Claire? Yeah. Um. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I loved her in Split. She kind of like made the movie for me, um... Uh... I thought the writing of her character was really good. There a lot of depth, um, all the flashback. I mean, maybe a lot of it was plot devices, um, but I thought it worked, and she really sold the character, and the interaction she had with um, James McAvoy, it all worked for me in Split, and then, I mean, they just ruined her character totally, and... Um, in glass, there was no reason for her to be there at all, and no. and and the in the climax of the movie, uh, they have her, you know, come to the hospital and, um, uh, basically be like the loving support for James McAvoy's character, yeah. and I'm like, how like this wasn't established and split at all that they like loved each other, like I don't know, yeah. it was just uh, remember- really weird.
2: I remember there's this really weird moment where they first bring her into the film. She comes to the hospital where he learns about him being kept there. She talks to, you know, the administrator. Uh, oh shit, I can't remember her name. Uh, I'm blanking, I'm blanking. <laughs> Uh, Sarah Paulson character, shit, that was mm-hmm. it. Yeah, and so she talks about um, visiting, you know, James MacAable character there, and she's like, no, no, you absolutely cannot. let it." hard cut, she goes to see them right. there, And it's, yeah. it's, it's <laughs> totally dumb. <laughs> I remember that. It was like, oh, that's awful. That's an awful thing to do.
0: <laughs> yeah, I thought Sarah Paulson was okay, but I uh, kind of not very, um, I don't think she's very essential to any movement in the plot.
2: Yeah, I mean, her character has an interesting aspect there, but the problem is that they keep hammering on the same thing with not really developing it in any sense. Again, uh, the, the biggest issue with Glass is that it's just written so, so poorly, especially in the dialogue. Mm-hmm. The dialogue is very cringeworthy at moments, mm-hmm. you know. And, you know, it's, it's some of the, some of the yeah. worst I've seen, even in Shamlon's record, you know, as of late...
0: I mean my favorite Shyamalan movie is The Village, and it's not even because of him. It's just Deacons.
3: Did Deacons do the Village? I didn't know that. Yeah. That's awesome. It's
0: worth watching The Village just because it's so beautiful. Like it's a gorgeous movie. Oh, I
3: gotta see it now.
0: Just watch it for that. Mm-hmm. It doesn't even matter about the twist.
2: I think what's what's interesting as well, I guess, going back to this, is that the cinematography was probably the one thing that I actually enjoyed in glass. Yeah. There were some creative shots implemented throughout, like it showed me, I'm like, oh, there's someone like with some creative talent actually doing something here, and Shyamalan's always had a really good sense of color as well, you see that in a lot of the symbolism, both in Sixth Sense and uh, Unbreakable in particular, that carried over here as well, the color schemes of the characters, now they reflect certain things, the rooms and whatnot, but... You know, it definitely wasn't as great here as in previous films, but I, I felt the cinematography still had some inspired choices, and I wish that it was just better utilized by a more coherent... Yeah,
0: I always liked his relationship with colors. Like, uh, I like it in Village, too, because they're always, like, talking about the bad color and how, like, red's dangerous, and red's a dangerous color. Like, they they explicit... He ex, He has people do exposition for things that you would just, like, have, like, as a script detail, right? It's very strange how he goes mm-hmm. about that.
2: that. That's another huge problem that comes back to class, too, is that class is extremely exposition-heavy. There's a lot of heavy-handed exposition. There's uh, a lot of flashbacks to lots of characters' things going on, all very unnecessary. Um, and just, like, overly explaining why people are somewhere, like, and just explaining the mechanics behind the things. Like, Like, it's just things you don't need necessarily. You know, Sarah Paulson comes in and explains how the the water nozzles are meant to work in David's room, and it's like, you don't need that. Like, you can see how it works, or you can show it visually. Show him trying to break out in the water hit. We know the water weakens David, you know, so just show it to us. Stop explaining things.
3: Uh, I just pulled up uh, this uh, cinematographer for Glass, so we can shout his name out. It's Mike... Mike geolakis okay um and he also did you know he did it follows
2: oh good yeah, yeah.
3: Hmm.
2: Uh, oh actually i think i remember that now i'm pretty sure chamelan uh hired him specifically because of uh his work in it follows. nice I, think I remember reading that somewhere.
3: and he did split as well and it looks like he also did us the new movie from jordan peele
2: oh well that's really interesting so that's good. Because uh, us, actually, based on the trailers, has looked really great, you know, shot as well, you know, which doesn't surprise me from Jordan Peele. I don't like how the trailers are edited particularly, but, you know, that's more the the, the studios than on Peele himself. It sounds
0: incredible in theater. Like, that's a really good use of an old song. Yeah, it
3: does. It sure does.
2: So let's see. I guess this would also be a good time to talk about the actual ending of Glass. We've mentioned it a couple times, but we haven't actually discussed thoroughly what it is. And I'm interested to know your guys' thoughts
3: on it. Yeah, I was going to say, I think there's one scene in particular before the end we should talk about. Yeah. Um all right. And that would be what I would consider, like, the the showcase scene for the movie that you see in all the trailers, where uh, Sarah Paulson's interviewing the three of them together. Oh, yeah. You know what I'm talking mm-hmm. about? What would you guys think of you know, that scene?
2: You know, it... It kind of hints at what the film's trying to get at, but you don't get much out of it because there's not much room for character interaction between all three. Tim Jackson's not doing anything because he's cantatonic. Bruce Willis isn't doing anything because he doesn't give a shit. And James McAvoy character is the one that has the least one ability to interact because of all the personalities. Like Really, if you think about it, the film is most about trying to convince David that he is not a superhero. He's the only one who would possibly be convinced on that. But because Bruce Willis doesn't want to be there, you can't really have that. <laughs> so they have to work around it, and that's why you get a whole lot of nothing going yeah,
3: on. Yeah, it, it fell really flat for me. Uh, w- mm-hmm. Also, would you consider, going off that, would you consider um, David to be the protagonist? Hmm. Yeah.
2: Y- you know, I think by default he kind of has to be, just where the story demands. I think this should have been um, Glass's story. I mean, it's his title, it's his name. The whole idea is that he's the one who's been pushing for the idea of superheroes since Unbreakable to begin mm. with. If anything, he's the one who needs to be convinced. Having him catatonic for the majority of the film is a ridiculous mistake to make. You know, I think it's the, uh, I think
0: it's pretty lame that Glass has been waiting there for 19 years and. Somehow he found out about internet and how to upload things onto YouTube while being locked into a mental institution. While those things were like created, like he he's somehow like a specialist in technology.
2: Mm-hmm. I'm wondering, like, think about all the comic book history he's missed in those 19 yeah. years. He doesn't get that in there. Like, can you really be a comic book expert if he still missed out on all that? A lot has happened in that time in the world. He hasn't even
0: seen Into the Spider Verse, which is the only comic movie <laughs> that you need to see. <laughs>
2: I knew you'd find a way to wrap around to this, <laughs> but yeah, it's. I think it's a huge mistake not to make this about him and his struggle to be, because that's kind of his whole compelling arc is that he needs to feel valid as an individual. Like he wasn't a mistake. That's his whole big, you know, concern. And so by, I mean, really, there's no central character in no, the film, that's which is problem. why this, yeah, it doesn't work at all because you've got nothing really to latch onto. You've got these three. Indistinct things going on that don't ever get a chance to really interconnect until the kind of final big brawl. And I
0: mean, we should remember that Samuel Jackson's about what, like seventy-three years old. Like he's he's getting into that. Yeah, Isn't he's that getting into that same. He's seventy. Lead. He's seventy. So. and he's actually
3: five years older than his uh, who plays his mom. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah, he's
0: older than his Which mom. Is a,
2: it's a weird thing, but that's what happens when you cast a character for flashbacks only in a film nineteen years yeah. prior and You feel the need to bring her back? You should have just written her out too. Don't need her. Don't need any other joy. Again, I mean, Bruce Willis's son characters works fine, but I don't think you need any of that. That final. Thing. I'd
0: suggest you don't have to make this movie at all.
2: <laughs> yeah, I mean, really. I don't know.
3: I mean, I I was excited for the movie. Um, personally, I think he just fumbled. Uh, like, I think it could have been good.
0: And where do you think he went wrong?
3: Yeah. Specifically, where do I think he went wrong? Um, I don't know. I mean, like I said, I don't have um, as much experience with Shyamalan as everyone else. So this is, I guess, is the first uh, Shyamalan disappointment I've experienced. And I'm just like, like, how did this happen? How could he go so wrong? <laughs> like, this, this, this should have worked. Um, I don't know. I think...
2: I think the issue for myself, it comes down to secluding the film to this, this singular location and idea, not really, you know, getting down on what... Like, like, kind of fully figuring out what exactly he wanted to explore thematically. Um, you know, if this is supposed to be a coming together of all the heroes and villains for a final showdown, it needs to be more spectacle. If it's supposed to be a more introspective look at you know, what it means to be a superhero, and if there are really a thing, or if these people are you know, kind of fulfilling their own fantasies, then you know, one of the issues that comes with that which is the central idea of it, you know is the idea that maybe they're not really superheroes is that we as the audience know that they are. We've seen it. You know, we've been confirmed it in the actions they have taken up until this point, like the actual superhuman things they have done. There's no doubt in our mind. So, any potential like you know accusation that could be made by Sarah Paul's character falls entirely flat because we're not gonna buy it I have this we know
0: I have this thing with Shyamalan that he's as worse when he's making meta commentaries on how he creates as an artist like uh you know like the lady in the water was like uh well the character's name was like story and it's about her like meeting the author of the story it's it's some, like, bullshit meta-commentary. And that's why I think glasses about his commentary and what it was like to make these superhuman things and how it's okay to have a special idea. You can eventually get it made.
2: So that's the interesting read as well that I've been seeing kind of floating around in Glass as well. Um, you know, the other, <laughs> the other interesting thing about Lady in the Water is that really bad cameo he has where he essentially, like, you know, what, in the film, there's a plot point where they have this evil you know, film critic or whatever, and they, like, viciously murder him. Yeah. And then it's up to... It's up to this, like, uh, you know, savior-like writer to come and help everyone. And Shyamalan has the audacity to cast himself as this character. Like, the, the commentary he's making is so clear, and it's really, like... You know, it's not okay, I think, but... Yeah, and that kind of comes around in Glass too. if you want to take a step back and look at it like that. Like, if you put Shyamalan in the same category as Glass's character here, then the idea is that, you know, people expect great things of you, but when you, you know, they let you down, because, like, like, you know, you have to, people around them are instilling these ideas in them that maybe they're not as great as they're, you know, everyone built them up to be, maybe they aren't actually super at all or capable, but the, the main uh, point of the movie then at the end is, no, I am great, you know, I am super <laughs> incapable, everyone's wrong and bad, and they're evil. They're explicitly evil for trying to convince me that I am not this all-powerful And everyone's
0: person. wrong but him. <laughs>
2: yeah, so, and that's there, that you can totally read that commentary there. I don't. You know, I didn't get that when I walked out of the theater, but when I saw these comments about it, I'm like, oh, yeah, I, I totally see well, that I, now.
0: I really like the films where he likes to say that he needs to be able to take risks like the visit he had to put his house up to fund the movie and then split that was still coming off the you know the what he took in from the visit and those are very like humble Mm -hmm. movies without the extravagance and without like the oh i'm an auteur and i'm going to act like one i think he acts more like an auteur where he's not focusing on making commentary on being one
2: right well i think that's the interesting thing as well is that if you compare kind of the budgets and Chimlon's recent work with Blumhouse specifically, because that's who these last three films have kind of been through as well, and he had huge success with Splits. It was like a $70 million budget and made, like, hundreds of millions, and so he, you know, made bank off and of Glass, that. And Glass... And so he continued... Glass already doubled. Yeah, he continued to so. bankroll. Yeah, so Glass is actually around $20 million in budget, and I bet you, based on how kind of restrained the film is, that a majority of that budget went to the salaries of... Uh, Brucey and
3: Sam. Did you hear that uh, Disney made him an offer to to do Glass for them? They were going to give him like a hundred and ten million dollar budget, and he turned it down. No, hm.
2: I did not hear that. That's interesting. Um, huh. I. Then, <laughs> I bet he prefers that kind of creative control. They would have had yeah. it. Uh, that he gets by funding it himself. We would
0: have been seeing Sam Jackson in the next uh, uh, Avengers movie. Well, he already will be, right? So he'll <laughs> yeah. be playing oh, two yeah. characters in it.
2: <laughs> that would be interesting—a a Shyamalan uh, Marvel crossover. And
0: who's Sam Jackson play in Marvel? What's his character? There? He's Nick Fury. Yeah, yeah, that's right.
3: <laughs> well, that's another thing. Is like earlier we were talking about um, where Bruce Willis was at at this two different points in his career. You can also say the same thing for Sam- Samuel L. Jackson. In my opinion, I mean. I feel like he's, in Glass, he's quite literally sleepwalking through the movie for at least half of it. And you could argue, in my opinion, he's been sleepwalking through movies for the past ten years, at least. Minus, minus maybe, like, Django Unchained. I thought he was really good in that. Well, um Black Snake
0: Moan. You, know.
3: you gotta go with yeah, it. Yeah. But <laughs> in Unbreakable, he was fantastic. Yeah.
2: Mm-hmm. Well, I, I think... Part of it, I mean, I'll give Sam more credit here than I will Bruce because he was largely restrained by being written as being catatonic for the majority of the film. Yeah. But you're right in that he has largely become a caricature of himself in some ways. He totally. really doubles down on that Sam Jackson style of things. I think he fulfills, like, his his Marvel role pretty well, you know. But again, it's, it's largely written to fit him as opposed to him striking his acting muscles in any way. I think my favorite
0: scene in any of the three movies is him in the comic book shop, talking about how myth and mythology has been told like through centuries, and comics are like the evolution of how we used hieroglyphs and shit. That's the coolest thing in the series for me.
2: Yeah, it's some interesting looking. Like you know, that's when Sam Long's really digging and trying to find something about the nature of superheroes and what that means, and you know how it applies to our modern society, and that. Again, slightly kind of exists in glass, but you know is, is largely kind of just fumbled around during that main you know uh, trailer scene, and then well, it's you know,
0: it's so strange because comics became a different thing right after Unbreakable came out. Like Unbreakable really? was a different thing, and then Marvel happened right afterward. You know.
2: Yeah. Well, it kind of blew up uh, what, about eight years later or so. But I mean, the world of comics themselves had changed in the the new millennium as well. You know the kind of.
0: It feels like he hasn't quite adapted to that. He's still making an old movie.
2: Hmm. Again, it, and that's the weird thing is that Glass feels simultaneously like a film he wrote in 2000 and also a film he is trying to make today and applying things. It's this weird amalgamation of a script he started, but you know had to pick up later on for whatever reason, and I don't know. It just doesn't mesh together. Not at all. <laughs> so, yes, we should also, I guess, now that we're worked up there, uh, talk about the finale of the film. At this point, you know, Mr. Glass has woken up, you know, he says his weird... Li- that, that was a weird thing, I want to address that as well. Do you, that do you guys find that was odd when he first confronts Kevin and then Kevin asks him his name he gives a cringy
3: response? Um, I don't remember what you're talking about, say that again?
2: He, he gives, like, this weird cringy response when he's asked his name, like, you know, the, the Kevin asks him, you know, hey, who are you anyway? He's like, first name, Mr. Last name, Grimes. Grimes. <laughs> yeah." It's <laughs> awful, awful, That's awful. the best part of the
0: movie. What do you mean? <laughs> no.
3: <laughs> Cringe. Maybe, uh,
2: anyway, that, that's like a very good sum up of the bad dialogue in the movie. It's just like that's the worst possible choice you could make for that kind of moment. Yeah. yeah. I, I wanted to highlight that for just a second before I move on to the plot. Anyway, so... That's He kind of gets part. everything organized. He he breaks everyone out. He lets David out as well. You know, David's got to break down the door and prove that he's super to himself so he can kind of face up and fight the beast before, you know, they wreak havoc on all of Philadelphia. So then they all kind of meet up and have a big brawl in the parking lot where they show off their various powers by punching cars and, you know, flipping things and all that. And then that's when everyone gets murdered. <laughs> in, like, the most unceremonious of ways possible. Oh, God, like, it's so boring. Yeah. Elijah gets punched, and then he dies. You know, Bruce Willis gets drowned in a puddle that really shouldn't be there. Like, no. one of the weirdest things I found when... Like, they, they specifically show this close-up of the puddle filling up from the water <laughs> tank coming off. And it's like, oh, I this love must the, be important. <laughs> I
0: love the shit that Shabba needs to explain. He needs to explain a fucking puddle to you. Like, it gets... Well, God...
2: It's such a fake puddle to me as well, because if you look, that parking lot is absolutely spotless, yeah. aside from this giant crater in the middle of it here. <laughs> it's just this perfectly head-sized, you know, pothole waiting to be filled up with water so we can drown Bruce Willis.
0: Yeah, it's it's like comic book fate, but in a really boring way that kind of, you know, it's the most anticlimactic way that you could kill off a character. After we just saw Avengers explode its whole universe last year, how are we going to care about a fucking guy in a puddle?
2: Yeah, and then, and then Kevin gets shot in the belly, yeah. which is also it. It ends kind of like like when he got shot, like it didn't feel like I didn't feel that impact well, at all.
0: It's weird because no. you you see the sniper and you see the tattoo, and then you're interested in the tattoo, and then he shot him, and you're like, but what did, what did that mean? It's and, just, it's I like
2: was... a tiny little shot, too. It's just like, pew! It's, you know, it's like, oh, he'll, he'll be fine. But he's like, no, suddenly, that's it. He's dying. Yeah, he's gone. And it and it, it really hurts in juxtaposition where you watch him take two shotgun blasts in the chest in the previous film. Right, yeah. So, it's just this very weird, like, flaccid, you know, death for everyone there. And then Sarah Paulson comes around and explains to everyone how it was this you know, big kind of covert, you know, operation where everyone meets in restaurants to discuss how they're gonna hide the fact that superhumans are real and they gotta kill them all now.
3: And, and Oh my it, god. A lot of it's is... trying Go on, To sorry, go ahead. I was trying to wipe that from my brain that uh, <laughs> that revelation from Sarah Paulson at the end, like, oh my god. A lot of this a lot of this
0: relies on, you know, um Glass's mom that she would be operating with him in coordination with him because how else are they going to get this there and how are they going to how, how is she going to figure out what his plan has been for the last 19 years it just seems unreasonable
2: it's, it's all this weird sequence of offenses things unfold like first of all this revelation that Sarah Paulson actually a bad guy if you want to frame it like that you know and that there's a society of people suppressing superheroes it's just this weird out of nowhere twist that's like all right it doesn't really add anything to the film it's just like another Shyamalan gotcha and you know it it just kind of makes everything before it feel entirely phony and you know pointless
0: yeah because David has like the power to realize people's intentions and what they're doing that's wrong so he spent all this time in the hospital and didn't understand the nurse. I don't even believe mm-hmm. in his power at the end, right? It's it's pretty yeah. lame.
2: And then, you know, on top of that, then you have this idea that you have to believe that, oh, you know, she got Sam Jackson and his plan failed, but then, wait, he had a different plan, and he had masterminded it the whole way, right. figuring this whole thing out, and he had these cameras and they uploaded to the cloud, where he then somehow also contacted all of the important people connected to him. Like, I get how he had his mom's email, but, like, he was able to get, you know, David's son's email and, uh, you know, uh, Anna Taylor-Joy's email. I don't even know if he knew of Anna Taylor-Joy's existence in the film. <laughs> right. Did he yeah. ever, like, how interact he...
0: with her? No.
2: Because he's a mastermind. He just knows it all. Right. And that, that's a weird jump as well from Unbreakable to here, is that his super you know, like, smarts or whatever just jump an immense amount. Like, he becomes, like, full-on, like, super genius, whereas in Unbreakable, he wasn't that, mm. you know? Mm. Is, like, he was just a well-educated person, well-researched, you know? He wasn't making any convoluted plans, you know, kind of any evil things. Like, if would look back at Unbreakable and consider what he did for those, like, mass murders, like, he got a hot tip that uh, you know, it would be impossible for people to escape from this burning building. So he set it on fire. It's not like it was some Rube Goldberg thing he set up to create this massive fire. You know, it's it's a weird jump in logic to make him this insane Mm supervillain. So yeah, there's that, and then, you know, email goes out to everyone to, you know, so they can upload and expose these Superheroes to the real world, and
0: the the one thing I like about all that is they go back to the Philadelphia train station where the Unbreakable part was, where David understands his own power. But then you get everyone like glaring at their phone. They receive the message that oh, everyone could be like this superhero. It's out there. It's not just these guys.
2: That reminded me. I just realized I skipped over a twist because we forgot the part where we learned that Kevin's dad, who you know, died and left him. He died on the train that Bruce Willis was on in the first film. Really? Yeah. <laughs> uh, let's, let's see how much more we can jam pack this together. I uh, swear this was planned from the beginning.
0: I mean, even yeah. if it was, you you might want to cut some things that don't that yeah it doesn't add anything at this point. It's
2: not it's not necessary. It's it's contrived, is what it is. It's you know it's entirely forced. You can't. It, it doesn't feel genuine, you know.
3: And then, what are they getting at it at the very end of the movie in the train station? Like uh, Claire and uh, Glass's mom and um, what is it? Bruce Willis's son. They're like best friends now, like <laughs> yeah. hanging there's out t- at the train station. Look, like, together. There's this together. weird
2: relationship. Like they're they're working together, and they're not the kind of characters that would seem to work together. They've had no interaction up until this point in the film. <laughs> And it's just this weird, also, just kind of misunderstanding of how this would work. Like, they all sit down at the train station, and Glass's mom leans over, and it's like, how long has it been since it's uploaded? And it just goes, some, like, two hours. Yeah. You know, and they're, like, they're waiting for, like, everyone to explode, and like, oh my god, superheroes are real! <laughs> and that's not going to happen in any reality.
0: Like, you can't doctor a video on YouTube.
2: Yeah, like, well, especially considering, like, these aren't Particularly amazing powers being exhibited. No, like, the yeah, they, they,
3: Super strength, and that's it. Yeah. And look like how you, quickly yeah. they
0: all got brought down. It's like, uh, I mean, they they died the, before the public understood them.
2: <laughs> man, that die, guy super died in a puddle. Yeah, right. You know? <laughs> <laughs> oh,
0: my hero! He he died in half inch of water.
2: <laughs> Those things, the, the things that the powers they exhibit aren't impressive enough to make most people stand up like you know i bet you could go find a guy who could punch a van and put a dent in the door you know look that's at- <laughs> not crazy impressive look at this
0: guy he spent 19 years in a mental institution and figured out how to load a video on youtube at the end
3: uh, yeah i mean like the- <laughs> a guy that looks like 65 uh, year old bruce willis doing it that would be another thing that he was looking pretty frail in the movie so I uh, that kind of took me out of it as well. like, this guy does not look intimidating.
2: <laughs> mhm. From a distance, it wasn't too bad, because, you know, they had all those doubles for when they couldn't get Bruce Willis to come out of the trailer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, like, stuff like... I mean, I guess it's impressive that, you know, the Beast flipped a car, but it's also not unheard of, you know. Yeah. There, there are people who... And, and he looks jacked, you know. Like, if I saw a super jacked guy flip a car, I'd believe it.
0: Yeah, it's doable.
2: Yeah.
0: <laughs> I feel like... Like, two of us could just flip a little smart car. It doesn't take anything, you know? Yeah. Why not? It's
2: not like he even flipped it a hard way. He didn't flip it from, like, the nose of the car. He flipped it from the side, yeah. you know? You get enough momentum going. I bet I bet even I could do that. Yeah,
3: I'm sure. If I had my Wheaties in the morning.
2: Hmm. Yeah. So, So that's the thing. That's part of why the ending falls so flat, is that I don't think anyone would be drastically reacting to this. So, like, when... Sarah Paulson's character realizes that this evidence is getting out. She has this huge, like, over-the-top reaction. This big, <laughs> no! It's it's so like, it doesn't make any sense.
3: Yeah. Yeah, it was bad. Mm-hmm. Uh,
2: it's just this weirdly, you know, like, incongruent mess of an ending. And, and that's the thing that, when it ends, you're like, what am I supposed to take away from that? People know about. Superheroes. Right. Does that mean other ones are coming? Is this a sequel bait? God, I, I my... do not. know.
3: I'll say when when the movie cut to black, um, my theater people did not seem impressed. No, it was <laughs> silence.
2: Yeah, it's it was definitely not a crowd pleaser. No, not at all. You know, I found what I found interesting, at least in my own experience, was I was never bored per se watching the film, but. You know, I was... I, I rolled my eyes more times than I can remember in any other movie.
3: Yeah, me too. I fell asleep
2: it. for
0: at least four minutes in the movie. <laughs> I feel bad. I don't bad blame happened. you. I
2: certainly don't blame anyone who would be bored by the film, because there's... Ugh, it's it's some bad stuff many times, but I think there's some good stuff in it, you know, or there's, there's some good stuff masked in there somewhere, kind of carried over for, from Unbreakable still. I think that's the stuff that really holds up the film, at least, and i don't know i i like seeing like james mcavoy and i didn't think bruce willis was the worst like i said earlier i don't know maybe i just still have a soft spot for him because i like him so much in the 80s and 90s
0: yeah yeah i mean it's fine uh there are things i like more about it than the way marvel movies go with their huge like explosive conflicts and stuff i don't really care i'm more interested in character building which is what this attempts to you think that I would like this one a lot more because that's all I want those movies to do is be more like Black Panther, where they're building a character.
2: Well, the problem is, that it just it fails at building character or exploring the themes that it wants to because it just mucks around for a majority of the time, and it just kind of and, and then you got all the weird subplot stuff with all the you know kids and shit running around, <laughs> figuring out all this stuff. Like, I mean, it doesn't amount to anything until the last two minutes of the film. It just feels entirely unnecessary to have them there most of the time, except for again, David's son, who you know has a, a, at least believable relationship with his father.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: It it's... feels like in a lot of ways uh, he, he was trying to do like the anti like Marvel movie, where in um, the whole movie or the whole back half of the movie, I should say, Glass is building up like this huge fight that's gonna be on top of the biggest building like in the middle of the city and like that keeps building and building and and it never happens it's just like this tiny little thing in in the parking lot of the hospital right Um, Right.
2: it's intentionally subversive and that's a good idea again the the whole idea of like doing the opposite of an event style film makes sense for the kind of superhero film that you have with uh, Unbreakable as a precedent the problem is is that you take that away from it, but you don't put anything else in. Like, there's no real substitute for the kind of spectacle that you would get. It's just flat. So,
0: my feeling is mm-hmm. it's kind of a sequel to Unbreakable and Split, but I think he should have just made a Glass movie. Like, he should have made the independent Glass movie that the last two guys got, and then he should have done the sequel to all of them, right? <laughs> like, you should have had the three and then the one that brings them together, I feel like.
2: Either that, or I think you just make the film entirely from the perspective of Glass there, and you have, you know, David and Kevin as supporting characters as he's trying to orchestrate this big battle between them, this coming together and revealing to the world of superheroes, and you make him the central character doing that, and then you could have something even potentially like the Sarah Paulson character and the Force behind them, but you don't sit it in the hospital, you don't confine it there. You need action, things to be happening, you know, not like like fighting action, but just like things, you know, let's have things happening, (laughs) you know, and then you can have like a a Sarah paulson kind of character or force, you know, trying to stop him from revealing the secret to the world all the while he's trying to provoke David and the Beast into fighting each other this big place, and you can still have that anticlimactic ending where everyone dies or whatever, maybe in a little, you know, more fitting way, but... It needed more, for sure. This is not the way to do this kind of film.
0: No,
3: I think I agree with you. Like you, like you asked me earlier. Like where, where do I think the movie went wrong in the most way? In the most ways, um, what you just said. Uh, I think setting it in, in the hospital, having the entire movie in that confined space, that just didn't work at all. Uh, it would have been much better if you know, it was in the city of Philadelphia and more things were happening, I could have seen it going a lot better.
2: Mm Mm-hmm. I think it's, you know, that comes back to Shyamalan restraining himself as a filmmaker. Clearly, as we've seen with his previous two films, he's more interested in kind of low-budget things that he has more control over. And as we said earlier, that's what he decided to do with this as well instead of taking that money from Disney. But it really required something more for what at least this script that he chose to go with kind of demanded. You know the things that he wanted to explore required a grander stage than he was willing to allow that's a real shame when a filmmaker you know just inherently decides to limit themselves to their own detriment
0: and uh, i think that my outcome is that it was a little bit premature it wasn't a final copy of a film it feels like it's the basis of getting a film together but uh just like the other ones this is just another origin story and we need a final ending. We don't need an or- origin story at this point.
2: That's kind of interesting, because he says that explicitly as well. Like he thought this was a, a meetup, you know, or whatever, the final fight. But this is actually an origin story. And when he said that, I'm like, whose origin story is this?
0: You thought it was a limited is... edition or something. Yeah, know. that's
2: what he says, something like this. But, like, who? Is it the the organization's origin story? Is right. it all the <laughs> yeah. characters who died origin story?
3: I don't think it's them. Yeah, I didn't know what he was getting at with that either.
2: I I don't know. There's, I think, a couple ways you could take it. Maybe the origin story of all the superheroes out there who are afraid to think that they are, maybe. Maybe that's what he's getting at. But it's. It's another moment of really contrived dialogue where it's like he thinks he's clever, but it's not. Yeah. But I think this film was only enjoyable at least for me in the context knowing that I would have a, a platform here to discuss it and kind of rip it apart <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that, that always makes things more enjoyable like I'm sitting there suffering in the theater I'm like oh, at least this, this is for a greater cause I guess <laughs> yeah
0: <laughs> I hope I don't have to think about it again for a while
2: yeah it's definitely I mean I'll, I'll revisit Unbreakable still but I don't see any reason to see this film really ever again there wasn't anything really that Either of the other films didn't do better.
3: Yeah. Yeah, I still enjoy uh, Unbreakable and Split. Uh, I would rewatch them again for sure. Yeah.
0: I think that's mm-hmm. our consensus. Go watch those two; they're they're pretty good. Um,
2: yeah, there's Glass is just an unsatisfying conclusion. You know, you can see it for yourself to kind of confirm that if you really wanted to know what the kind of clashing between the Titans was like, but it's yeah i mean you're gonna be disappointed man
3: yeah there's not much clash no <laughs> no
2: no there is not there is a lot of sitting in rooms and moping
0: a lot of nothing
2: should we uh and
0: close this one up
2: yeah i think that's all good uh it was really great having you on of course tyler here that was a nice change up of things and getting your insight on this yeah
3: thanks for having me it was great
0: and next next week, we'll be looking at Michael Bolton's big, sexy Valentine's Day special, which uh, David came to my house to watch the, the last week. So. I, I,
2: I did do that. You were looking for something to put on Netflix, and I just randomly remembered this thing from, like, four years ago or something, and you're like, uh, and you kept insisting, we're going to make the podcast about this, and I'd totally forgotten, so you managed to squeeze it in here at the end.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <sighs> nice way to wrap it up, and we'll be back with a couple hours on that next week.
3: Hmm. Seems as though a group of punks have infiltrated our studio. So you don't like my show, huh? Yeah, it
1: sucks ass.
3: I guess you think it's kind of hokey. No duh. Perhaps even a little uncool? Shit chat. Well, I think I have something a bit more up your alley. Hit it. Just take those old records off the shelf.